Thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of the Songlines and Tanlines podcast, a place to take a momentary break from your day-to-day routine. Those returning, thank you. The support is appreciated. Those new to this podcast, welcome. And if you like what you hear and are not a subscriber, don't forget to subscribe. Now let's pull up the anchor and set sail. This is episode 90. That's right, episode 90. I am now 10 episodes away from 100. Can you believe little old me has managed to put out that much content? I know I can't believe it. And this podcast has crossed 6,000 listens, over halfway to 10,000. Simply amazing. Thank you all for listening and enjoying this podcast and sharing it with your friends. Quick sidebar. Before moving on, I finished reading Stephen King's Dolores Claiborne recently, and I wanted to give it a shout out. Great book, and if you like King or are looking for a great read, you should pick it up. Alright, enough of that. Let's now dive into something new this week. Something that I think will be fun to do from time to time. Today's episode is going to be pitting two songs against one another. Jimmy's cover versus the original. And the original version of Southern Cross is what led the episode off. That song is by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, in case you didn't know that, and has long been a favorite of mine. Long been a favorite of mine since I was a kid, before I was even a Buffett fan. So when Jimmy covered it, it was an instant hit for me. Southern Cross, according to Wikipedia, is a song written by Stephen Stills, Rick Curtis, and Michael Curtis. It was featured on the band's Daylight Again album and was released as a single in September of 1982. Stephen Stills sings lead throughout with Graham Nash joining on the second verse. Because David Crosby did not reunite with Stills and Nash until the album was well underway, his vocals are not featured on the album version. Although he did appear in the video and subsequently sang the song with the group in live performances. The single was a success on the charts, reaching number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100 for three weeks in late November and early December 1982. Cool facts to learn, and it gives you some extra insight into the song and its history. There's also a video to the song lurking out there in case you want to check it out when you finish here. I know you tuned in to hear about how these two songs match up head-to-head, and I will get into that soon. But first, let's give Jimmy's version a listen. 
and his version can be found on the album Buffett Live Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. And that is a solid live album. Kind of a forgotten live album with many great songs on it. I listened to it recently and it is well worth your time to seek it out. Now, on to Buffett's cover version of Southern Cross and then my thoughts on how they match up and, in my mind at least, which one is a definite winner. Now, here are my thoughts on how they match up. When I listen to the original version of the song, it is still an amazing listening experience. I still love it. I still enjoy it. And it never gets old. It's a great classic rock ballad. It is an iconic song. And in that regard, it probably is the winner in a head-to-head battle. But here's where I think the two songs part and the reason why I think Buffett's version is a better version. The original version, as great as it is, reminds me of being on a sailboat on a lake. It's a nice, easy ride, a pleasurable one, one I wouldn't mind to do time and time again. I love the easy breezy vibe of the original version. But when I listen to Jimmy's version, to me, this song feels like you are raising the sails, catching a strong breeze, and racing out into the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean, where there are no rules and danger lurks within every crashing wave. Jimmy's version has so much energy, it is fuller, it is larger, it's bigger and grander, and a much more powerful song the way he and the reefers perform it. Question is, would Jimmy's cover of Southern Cross be different if it was a studio version? The one added thing Jimmy's version has is that it is a live recording and we all know Jimmy brings his A game when he steps in front of the mic. Could that one simple fact be the deciding factor in me giving the nod to Jimmy's version over the original version? Possibly, 
but there is no studio version of Jimmy's cover, so I don't know if that is a factor or not. My final verdict, you probably know this by now, is that Jimmy's cover is the better version of the song, hands down. He truly made it his own, so much so that I tend to seek out his version when I'm in the mood to listen to Southern Cross. What say you? Which version do you prefer? Shoot me an email. Let me know via Instagram or Twitter. I would love to hear and share your responses on the show. And you might be saying, of course he chose Jimmy's version. But I have a few more of these Versus episodes in mind. And there's one song Jimmy covered that isn't as good as the original. Not sure he should have covered it. Stay tuned. And one more thing, concert plays for each song. You know I couldn't forget that. Let's see who wins that battle. Jimmy has played this song live 809 times in concert. That puts it 12th all time and probably will climb higher. First time in April of 1996 and last played in September of 2021. Crosby, Stills, and Nash have played this song live 784 times and that puts it at number one for them all time in concert. First played in August of 1977 and last played in October of 2015. Jimmy wins this round as well. He's played Southern Cross a lot more in concert. Not by a lot, but by the time he stops playing it live, probably when he retires, I think that gap will only continue to grow. Here's a crazy stat. Southern Cross, according to Setlist FM, where I get all my concert facts, has been played live 1,856 times by a combined 18 different artists. Wow, it truly is an iconic song. Let me drop anchor here and close out the episode. You can hear my voice talking about music on the Audible Ecstasy podcast and talking about horror on the Nightlight Tales podcast. And stay tuned after Black Sabbath plays. Yes, I said Black Sabbath. There's a song by them that fits perfectly into this episode. I'm going to be reading a bit of A Zombie Christmas after that song plays. Stay tuned for that. Next episode, a Jimmy Thanksgiving song. Did you know Jimmy had a Thanksgiving song? Can you name it? Send me an email with your answer, and I will share the correct ones on the show. That's it. Thanks for listening. Cheers and aloha.
Thanks for sticking around this far, and thanks for listening to The Sign of the Southern Cross by Black Sabbath. I think that song is on their Mob Rules album, if you're curious about it at all. That's the one with Ronnie James Dio on vocals, not Ozzy Osbourne, in case you noticed something different. Anyways, I thought I would share it. Hope you don't mind. If I had to pick my biggest hit, it would be A Zombie Christmas. It's racked up tons of reviews and ratings, and it's my only short story, my only self-published story, that has really done anything remarkable. People seem to like this one a lot, and it involves zombies, gore, violence, the normal tropes you usually find in a zombie story. So it isn't for everyone. But if you want something a bit different to read this holiday season, then look no further than this short story. You can find it in ebook or paperback on Amazon and in ebook form on all the major platforms. Let's get into it. Mike Beam lowered his rifle, put his right eye on the scope, and closed his left eye. The zombie he was about to shoot was an ugly sucker. From what Mike could tell, this zombie used to be a man, around five foot five or six, maybe seven. Hell, he couldn't tell the exact height from just a tiny scope. Its suit was disheveled, full of dirt and blood. It looked fresh, a recent feast perhaps, and half of his face was gone. This zombie was currently investigating Mike's Santa Claus and reindeer display. The zombie was studying it like he knew what it was or remembered what it was. Don't pick up Rudolph. Don't, Mike replied to himself. The zombie leaned over and picked up Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. That did it. You see, the biggest problem was this. When you messed with Rudolph, you screwed up the whole display. All the reindeer were attached by string, and that string led into the hands of Santa, who was glued by his butt to the sleigh he was sitting in. When the zombie picked up Rudolph, the rest of the display just went into disarray. Mike didn't want to shoot the zombie just yet, because if he fell forward, then it would crush the display altogether. Mike waited until the zombie was trying to walk away with Rudolph shambling off munching on the plastic reindeer and the display dragging behind him. Bam! Perfect headshot. Display still safe. Mike was on the balcony of the house when he made the kill, so he took the rope ladder and dropped it over the side. He put the rifle down and grabbed a couple of pistols nearby. He checked their chambers, full, locked, and loaded. He put the guns in their holsters and climbed down to the ground. Mike walked across the lawn, eyes back and forth, looking for zombies. He stopped, got down on one knee, took out a pistol, and aimed this pistol with the light reflecting off the metal. Bam! It was another perfect headshot. The zombie hit the pavement, and he didn't move. The noise from the gun had stirred up more of them, so Mike had to get to his display, fix it, and then get back. So Mike grabbed Rudolph out of the dead zombie's hands and put the display back in order. He quickly made his way back to the house where nothing was stirring, not even a mouse. He shot a few zombies with his pistol as he ran across the yard, climbed back up the rope ladder, and found his place on the balcony. He turned on his boombox. Perry Como flooded the air with Christmas cheer. The zombies were getting restless so Mike decided it was time to even out the herd. It was pretty easy shooting. He stopped his rampage when something white 
hit his nose. He looked up into the sky as flakes of snow began to fall. It was the first snowfall of the year.